I thank uh, Pastor Brown for the privilege to stand before you this morning and share God's Word. Just before we open up the, the Word and take a look at uh, the message for today, I wanted to share with you a little bit about some of the things that we've been doing in the youth group recently. Uh, in particular, we took a leadership teen retreat in the last several weeks, and we just took out time from our schedule uh, in order to get away with the teens and to break them from their routine and help them think about uh, the opportunity that lays before them at this stage in their life, the opportunity they have with the time and the energy that God's blessed teenagers with to really begin to, to, and to look at this time in their life as the launching pad of their life. And so we had a, a youth group leadership retreat, and uh, we, we had as the theme of the retreat, Step Up. And uh, we went through with the teenagers some key values that a person who wants to be a leader for Christ, a person who wants to have an impact on the world around them for Christ, needs to have as their values. And so we talked about things like worship and fellowship and discipleship and evangelism and service. And uh, Brother John Veldis helped with the teaching on that, and we, in turn, spent time helping the teens consider these important values and how they should be a part of their life if they want to really make an impact for Christ. And it was a great retreat. I, I can't say uh, enough about how, how um, blessed we were with everything from weather. It rained on our trip there. It rained on our trip back. And it was just right each day for what we were doing. We had one day where we were outdoors all day. And we had uh, moderate weather. It was a little overcast, not too hot. It was just right. We, we even considered maybe rescheduling because we were afraid we'd get rained on, but it, it worked out perfectly. The next day, really, really hot and sunny, and we were inside all day, and it was, it was, just, it was just a really good trip all around the way uh, what we were teaching the teens flowed with our activities for that day, and just really thankful to the Lord the way he uh, superintended for all of that. We had a great time, got to know the teenagers better. Hopefully they got to know each other better, and uh, we became uh, a more close group because of it. Now, we had uh, a couple of teens volunteer after some uh, encouraging words to, <laughs> to share some of their experience with you as well. So as I sit here this morning, you know, uh, anticipating getting up and be able to speak before, before God's people and share his word and the nervousness that goes with a big responsibility like that, they sit here probably as nervous or more nervous than me because they're going to get to get up and share with you uh, a little bit about our trip as well. I really thank them for being willing to do that. And particularly, I, when I think of these two young ladies, uh, I think of the enthusiasm that they show and the faithfulness that they show with our youth group. And I'm very grateful uh, that, they, that they demonstrate that and that they're a part of our group. So we're going to have Emily Lynn uh, coming first. She's going into 10th grade this year. She's going to share a little bit about uh, her memories from the trip and and, uh, and then after that, Gabby Lowe, who's headed into ninth grade, will come and share a couple comments about the trip. Emily? Um, I just want to start with uh, thanking everybody who prayed for us. That was a very big blessing. Um, one of the days, we went to the Creation Museum, and it was really cool. We saw, like, the Noah's Ark thing and how long they thought it took and everything. And one of the things I'd wanted to learn that I saw was there is like where Cain got his wife. So I started to kind of read about it, and then I was like, forget it. I don't want to go into that. So I so yeah. 
So um, then, I think it might have been that night or the night before, um, Mr. Castle was talking to us about it was a lesson of sharing the gospel and why um, we were afraid to do it to people who like wanted to uh, know it and everything. And I realized that it was because I could say something wrong and then they would call me a hypocrite or that would somehow um, like divert them from the gospel and that. So I learned that I need to study the Bible more to learn more stuff about it. But I also realized that it's not me who makes them to want to know the Lord, it's God. And that I only need to obey and try to get it to them. And then they will, um, if God wants them to, they will end up going. And I also wanted to thank Mr. and Mrs. Castle and John and Kara for taking their time out of the week and everything and to go with us. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. I would first like to thank Mr. and Mrs. Castle as well as John and Kara for taking the time out of their life to spend it with us on the, on the trip to the fellowship and worship together with us. Going to Cincinnati was one of the best trips that I have ever taken. The ride down there was long, but it was worth it because I got to fellowship and become better friends with people I see every Sunday. The trip to Kings Island was definitely an experience to remember. It was a great time with great people. However, my favorite teen leadership trip was the time to the Creation Museum. This was the first time I have ever gotten to see creation displayed in, in a Christian point of view. I go to a public school, so I have only been taught evolution there. The museum opened my mind and my heart to the wonders of God. It is amazing and somewhat overwhelming that all God has created just by speaking it into existence. There are so many beautiful things in this universe that God has made. I would like to take this time to share a couple verses of a song that I came across, Compliments of My Mom. It is called One True God by Mark Harris. I don't have a God that I put on a stand or a God I hold in the palm of my hand. I have a God that is holding me. I don't have a God that I can create in the place I live with the money I make. I have a God. He made everything, so I don't need a temporary man-made deity. When I got the real thing, he's, he's the Lord of all earth the maker of all things. He alone is the one true God. Kingdoms rise and fall, but even through it all, he remains the one true God. I don't have a thing that I got on my own. I don't have a care that I carry alone, but I have a God who's carrying me. I don't have a sin that he doesn't forgive, and I don't have a heart that is worthy of his, but I have a God who still loves me. I wanted to share this with you because after all, after all God has created and done for us, there are still non-believers in this world. I thank God every day that I am not one of them. Thank you for allowing me to share my testimony with you. And once again, thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Castle and John and Kara, for believing in the word and believing in me. God bless. Thank you, ladies, for uh, coming and telling us a little bit about your trip and about what you learned and uh, being willing to, to do something a little uncomfortable and get up in front of people and talk because of... Uh, of knowing the encouragement that it can be. And, and in particular, I want to thank all of you who prayed for us. I had several people mention to me that we're praying for you and that we got, when we got back that you prayed for us. And I appreciate that. And it was evident uh, as we were there ministering to the teens that, that you were praying, that the Lord was answering your prayer. And so thank you for that. Thank you for uh, your prayers and for uh, all the people, the parents who help out and, 
and uh, make it possible for us to work with your teens and to try and help you raise them up to, to serve the Lord. It's a great responsibility to stand in front of God's people and, says, Here, and say, here's what God says. And uh, there's not a time that I get the opportunity to do it that I, that I don't feel uh, anxious that, uh, that I do a good job at it, that I present what God says accurately and help you understand how to connect that with how we live. And so I'll attempt to do that this morning. Uh, I'm so grateful for um, a pastor who teaches us regularly from God's word, accurately from God's word, that makes it easier for me to get up here and do just to build on that. And particularly, I appreciate what Brother, Brother Matt Owen preached last week, and, and I'll try to build on, on what he discussed last week about us being made in God's image, and that image being marred in the process of salvation, being God restoring that image that we would that we would come to Christ and begin to be like him. And so that's, that's uh, very closely related to what we'll talk about here today. Any of you who have been around for a long time probably remember that uh, Julie and I, when we, when we came to community at the beginning and the church was just starting, uh, I worked for a company called Franklin Covey. And you probably remember me seeing, carrying my PDA around and talking about the workshops and the store that I managed and so forth. Franklin Covey's famous for their Franklin Day Planner. If you walked into any office during the 80s, in addition to big hair, you would see a Franklin planner on just about every desk or in everybody's hand. And uh, even into the 90s, it was the dominant business tool for people to organize their day and their personal life and keep everything in, in uh, harmony and working together in the same direction. And eventually the uh, electronic organizers began to take its place, and Franklin Covey adapted and worked that into their... Uh, their toolbox of, of productivity tools. And uh, Franklin Covey was also famous for their world-renowned training workshops like the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the, the book by the same name, and the Ten Natural Laws of Successful Time and Life Management. How's that for a name? Very intimidating. But uh, these workshops, they were famous for uh, having people come to and tr- trying to teach them how to identify what was really important to them and then lay out a strategy about how they would bring their day-to-day behavior in alignment with these lofty values that they've said they have. All pretty helpful stuff, particularly if you uh, took it home and actually began to change the way you live based on the strategy that you laid out. And assuming you identified values that were really worth the effort, all very good things, all very helpful things problem many people experienced after they would attend one of these Franklin Covey workshops is that they would often go back to their offices and their homes and fail to change in the ways that they set out to. And they'd go back and they'd have their personal mission statement that they were taught how to write, how to identify and write in this workshop, and it became nothing more than this glowing motto that was scribbled in the back of their Franklin Day Planner. Many companies experience the same problem. The company mission statement hangs on the wall for all to see. It's in the hallways, highly visible in the offices. And the problem they experience is it doesn't really change the way things are done on a day-to-day basis. The effects that this kind of inconsistency can have when we say certain things are important but fail to individually and collectively live differently because of these values we say we have, the effects of this inconsistency can be devastating to any organization. 
and demoralizing to its members. I think we'd find the opposite true as well. Organizations that stand out and accomplish lofty goals tend to know exactly why they exist, and they keep pretty tight alignment between their daily activities and their stated mission. Think of some examples with me. I'll read you a mission statement, and you may not be able to guess the company right off, but as I give you the company name, you'll probably go, oh, okay, yeah, I see that. Uh, This particular organization exists to be a magical place for guests of all ages from around the globe, a place where life is a fairy tale and dreams do come true. Everybody knows this one. Disneyland and Walt Disney World Resorts. How about this one? This one's near and dear to my heart. It's not Apple. (laughs) We exist to delight our customers, employees, and shareholders by relentlessly delivering the platform, and technology advancements that become essential to the way we work and live. That's the motto or the mission statement for a company called Intel. They make computer chips, and chances are just about everybody in this room has used one of their products this week. How about this one? We deliver simple, easy, and enjoyable restaurant experiences for customers and create superior value for shareholders. McDonald's Corporation. All three of these are organizations that have set themselves apart in their fields. They've managed to keep large numbers of people working together to move in the same direction, the direction of their mission. I don't know a lot about the day-to-day inner workings of these companies, uh, as if someone who, as someone who worked there would, but it is apparent that they've got a large organization moving in the same direction, and they've been able to carve out some, some pretty large goals. And I want to challenge us today, I want to challenge you today to consider the mission of Community Baptist Church and what is necessary for us to move together to accomplish our mission. On our website, our mission statement reads, the mission of Community Baptist Church is to help people learn about God, love Him and others, and live for His purpose. Will we be content to let our mission statement remain there written on our website, not really affecting the way we live from day to day, or will we take it up and let it shape the way we think and set our direction? Inserted in your program that you received when you came in today is an outline. And on that outline, you'll see three steps that I think are essential to us making our mission statement more than just a motto. And as you see in our outline, the first step is to step back and recalibrate how we think. Step back and recalibrate how we think. You know, the Bible frequently describes the close relationship between how we think and how we live. As you page through your New Testament, you read about the change that faith in Christ brings in the life of a believer. Pastor is teaching a series right now that's called, uh, based in the book of James, that demonstrates this change that faith in the life of a believer brings. It's called Behavior of Belief. I don't know if Mike Garner's in here, but contrary to what Mike said yesterday, good title, Pastor. Good title. I like that. If you're at the, the road rally yesterday, you'd get that. <coughs> but that book goes through this exact concept that when we truly believe that God is who he says he is and that his son, Jesus Christ, is who he claimed to be, 
that it has a transforming effect in our lives. And in your uh, program there at the top listed the first passage is Romans 12.2. I believe if any of you received a Bible that the ushers passed out, it's marked in there, Romans 12.2. If you have a Bible with you today, would you please turn there with me, Romans 12.2. It's in the close to the beginning of your New Testament. You've got the four gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts, and the very next book is Romans, Romans 12.2. In the first 11 chapters of Romans, we have explained for us in detail the, the mercies of God, God's grace, and how God's grace has reached those of us who were uh, helpless on our own, helpless to save ourselves from the penalty of our sin, our just penalty of our sin. And the famous verses in Romans 12, 1 and 2 make a break for us from this doctrinal section where we're being, being explained God's grace and his mercy. And we're told that in view of God's mercy, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And that's what leads right up to this verse, Romans 12, 2, uh, which is a, our first example of this connection that the Bible makes between how we think and how we live. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So God's word says that, the, that a key component to not getting pressed into the mold of the culture around us is the transforming power of a renewed mind. There is a strong connection between how we think and the transformation and living that God is, is causing to happen in the life of a believer. This theme's repeated again and again. You see on the screen there, Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. We read there, You, however, did not come to know Christ in this way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him according in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus Christ. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's a connection there, a strong connection between the way we think and the way we live. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, you see there on the screen. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. He's talking about our perspective, the way we think there. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. God's remaking us. God is molding us into the image of his son. He's restoring that image of God in us, like Matt preached last week. And it has a great deal to do with the way we think. Colossians 3, verses 1 and verses 9 and 10 say, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. God's restoring the image 
His image in us. And it's connected to the way you think. 1 Peter 1. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when you, when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So when God saves a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, he begins to change that person from the inside out. God says he wants us to be different. He's making us different than we were, and that change has a great deal to do with the way we think. And so we need to step back and recalibrate the way we think. And the next three points that you see on your outline there uh, flow out of one another. Uh, as, our, as our thinking changes in the first area, it affects our thinking in the next area, and so on. As we take the direction from our mission statement to learn about God our thinking about ourselves and our, quote, our stuff is forced to change as well. Our former way of thinking about these things is incompatible with our new recalibrated thinking about God. So let's do that for a moment. Let's think about uh, how we tend to think about God. Uh, Most of us acknowledge that God is important. I mean, you're all here in church on a Sunday morning. You obviously acknowledge that God is important. Our problem, most of us, is not that we think God unimportant. We recognize that having God as a part of your life is important. You know, especially when you have children. Anybody here who's a parent, you remember that that feeling of awesome responsibility, that weight that uh, fell on you as you realized this little life was being entrusted to you. This little person who uh, it was your responsibility to teach and to care for and to train. And so we realize when we feel helpless like that, that we need answers, we need guidance. And so we give God a box. You know, the various components of our lives comprise these boxes in our lives, these various little boxes. We've got the work box. We've got the recreation box. We have the family box. We've got a friend's box, political box. And then we are, because we know God's important, we give God his box. We include him because we know he's important, but what we fail to recognize is that God is not important in our life. God is our life. God is our life. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The Bible doesn't teach us that God's an important part of our lives. The Bible teaches us that God is our life. Without him, we don't have life. He is the author of life. He is the sustainer of life. Without God, we are cut off from the source of our life. He is our life. Colossians chapter 3, same book, a couple chapters over, says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The Bible teaches that we don't just need God as a part of our life. God is our life. And until we recognize that, uh, we have not recalibrated our thinking properly about God. We're not thinking accurately about who God is. And it distorts the way we think about everything else. It distorts the way we think about ourselves. It distorts the way we think about our stuff and our time and our energy and our schedules. It affects the way we think about everything else. We saw earlier, I read to you a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's the verse that we read earlier. I didn't read the verse that leads into that, verse 15. This is what it says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. The Bible presents us as dead in our sins. Before we come to Christ, we don't have spiritual life and we're on our way to a physical death that goes with that spiritual death that we're in. And the Bible says when you come to Christ, you come to the source of life and he doesn't become part of your life. He is your life. So we need to recalibrate our thinking about God. We need to put God in his proper place, not relegate him to one of the many areas of importance in our life. We need to put him on the throne of our life. He is our king. He is our life. And secondly, that will have an effect on our thinking about ourselves. You know, think about how we see ourselves. We, are, we see ourselves as independent. We kind of think of ourselves as, you know, we've got our interests and our motivations, our business that we, that we need to take care of, our family, the, our desires, the things that make us happy. And we go about life on a day-to-day basis typically with those things as our guiding forces, what we want, what we, what we feel is important, what will make us happy. And we, we tend to naturally just live independent. And this is the same basic sin that Adam committed in the garden. He thought he would try to set out on his own and live independently of God, as Brother Matt Owen mentioned to us last week. And we need to recognize our utter dependence on God. So as a, as a correlating truth to what we said about God earlier, that he is our life, when we think about ourselves, we need to think about ourselves as dependent. We're not independent. We're dependent on God. And in addition to seeing ourselves as independent, we tend to see ourselves as central. You know, as you think about your life, you see yourself as the star role. You know, we're the center of our lives, and it's about us. It's all about us. Everything in our life tends to revolve around us, and that is, that is the problem with our thinking about us is we fail to remember what we already learned about God, and it affects the way we think about ourselves. We are not the central player in our own life. God is the central player in our own in our lives. You realize that? Your life is not about you. Your life is about God. He made you for his glory. He made you in his image. That image has been marred. It's been twisted from from its original state because we've set off on on our own to live on our own course. And he's now working in our lives to restore that image. We need to realize that we're not independent. We're dependent on God. And we need to realize that 
we are not the central players in our life. God is. And that affects, then, the third item that you've got underneath that first point, and that is the way our stewardship, the way we think about our stuff, and I use the, the quotations, our stuff. You hear pastor every week when we get ready to collect our weekly offering and have our worship through giving, remind us that what we have is not our own. We do that because we believe that all that we have comes from the Lord. And we're just giving back a portion of what he's entrusted to us toward the direct spreading of the good news, the ministry of the word that goes out through this church. Think about that. How do you think about your stuff? And, and stuff could be material stuff. It can also be uh, your time. It can be your abilities and your energy. But how do you think about your stuff? I'll tell you how my, my tendency is, my natural tendency to think about my stuff is I think about it as my toy box. Isn't that right? We think about our stuff as our toy box. You know, that boat that I want. And just, I don't really want a boat. It's not my thing. It's probably some newer, bigger, better computer or something like that. But I don't want to talk about that because that's, that's, you know, my failing. Let's talk about yours. <laughs> you know, that boat that you want. That bigger house that you've got your eyes set on. That uh, fill in the blank. Whatever it is, that thing that you want. We think about, or that thing that you have, that you worked so hard for, that you want to enjoy, that takes you away from the good things you can be doing, could be doing to fulfill your mission, or that could be used to help you fulfill your mission. How do you think about that thing, those things? Do you think about it as one of the items in your toy box to make you happy, to help you uh, enjoy life a little more? Or do you think about it the way God tells us to think about it? Not as our toy box, but as our toolbox. Everything that we've been entrusted with, and we recognize it every week when we, when we write a check and drop it in the offering plate, we recognize that what God has entrusted us with is not our toy box, it is our toolbox. And when we recalibrate our thinking first about God, we're better able to see who we are and correct thinking about ourselves begins to fall into place and, and it's, it's propped up as we read through the scripture and learn about God and learn about ourselves. And all that begins to have the effect of changing how we think about what God's entrusted to us. And we don't hold on so tightly to these things. We, we look at the opportunity to have a certain thing as an opportunity to employ that thing for the mission God's given us. And so the way we think begins to change the way we behave because we've recalibrated our thinking. The second thing then, <clears throat> the second thing is we need to, so the first step is we need to step back and recalibrate our thinking. The second thing is we need to step aside and make love our priority. Step aside and make love our priority. The second passage that's listed at the top of your outline there is Matthew chapter 22. It's the first book in your New Testament. If you'll turn there with me, I'd like to, to read that for you. Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to start looking at verse 37. In this passage, Jesus has had uh, some interaction with the religious leaders of the day. They've heard his, uh, his wise answers to the questions they've posed him. The people's opinion of him has begun to rise and, uh, and, and has risen, and, and they feel threatened by him, and they're trying to trip him up with questions. And, 
and they come to him with this question about what is the greatest commandment. And this is Jesus' reply. He's summing up. He says, as you, as you look at all that God commanded his people Israel, when you want to get to the heart of it, these are the things that are important. These are the things that God is emphasizing in all these commandments he's given. He says this in verse Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is summarizing here for us what God wants us to be concerned with. Two big areas that God wants us to be concerned with. Two big areas that we've identified in our church's mission statement. That we want to learn about God. So we're recalibrating our thinking. And that we want to love him and others. You know, I tell our teenagers all the time that God doesn't command us to learn about him and to learn what his word says so that we can walk around and be walking Bible encyclopedias so that we can win challenges on Bible trivia and get medals or badges. Good things in and of themselves if it's, if it's helping us learn. You know, the kids get involved in programs oftentimes that involve Bible memorization and, and uh, memorizing key principles in scripture. Very helpful, very good things. But they're not an end in themselves. The Bible very clearly teaches, uh, as it teaches about itself, that it, is, that it is useful for those things so that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so learning about God uh, is for the purpose of being able to then better love him and others, which is what he made us for. That is what he made us for. Loving God. Love for God. Uh, when we were at the retreat, I taught the teenagers that two key principles in this love for God are that we give God our first. We give God of the first of what we have. Uh, and that's a principle that you look at the, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, and that's something that uh, frequently surfaces, that when God asks them to bring an offering or to devote something to him, time or a season or a holiday, uh, that he was to get the, the first. It was to be set aside before we took out anything else for ourselves. And that's one of the principles we talked about at the leadership retreat this year, is that God asks us to give him first, to consider that when we make our schedules. That, that's one of the principles that they taught in the Franklin Covey workshops, is that you take your big things. They give an illustration of, of a container that you have to put rocks in, and all these rocks represent the various things in your life, there are a lot, a lot of very big rocks, and then, and then, or a few big rocks, I should say, and then a lot of these little pebbles. And they start off with a container with the little pebbles in it first. And they say, now take these big things that you say are important to you. You know, one may be your, your occupation, one may be your family, one may be, you know, fill in the blank, whatever is important to you. And they have you put them into the container, and the participant quickly realizes these things aren't all going to fit. They're not going to fit in here. And so you have to step back and rethink about how you're going to do this. And the answer to this dilemma that they pose you pose is that you dump out the gravel in the bottom first, put the container on the table, and you take these big rocks and you put them in first. And once you've got all the big rocks in in place, then you take this little bucket of gravel that's left over, and it's the tedium of every day, the little you know phone call here, little things that just fill in the gaps of our day and take up our time. And you pour those in afterwards and 
what the audience observes is that those little things tend to fall in and fill in the crevices. And then you shake the container a little and they fall down a little more, pour a little more in. And they all tend to fit in a lot better that way. But at the very end, they don't all fit. But what gets left out? The little gravel at the bottom, the non-consequential, the things that aren't as important. It's a really good illustration. And this is, this is what God asks of us. How many times have you said, oh, I'd, I'd really like to... You know, I'd really like to get involved for that. I'd really like to serve somewhere in the ministry. I'm just so busy. I don't have time. I don't know how some people do it. That's how they do it. Before they put everything else in place in their life, they say, all right, service, serving God is important. Uh, making sure the gospel gets out is important. And they put it in first, and they let all the other stuff in their lives pour around it afterwards. And if they run out of space, the unimportant stuff gets left out. God's... When we talk about loving God, God wants us, the way we show we love him is we give him our first. And then we give him our best also. It's the other principle we talk about with the teens. We don't, uh, we don't give him the stuff we don't want, the leftovers. We give God our first and our best. And then love for others. The second point there is love for others. Philippians says this in chapter 2. I was supposed to put that up there earlier. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should look not only on your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Jesus gives us two summary statements of what God wants to be important to us. Love God and love others. Do we really consider others better than ourselves? more important than ourselves? Or do we always put ourselves first? This is really, it's really uh, interesting to watch in children. I often describe children as one of the reasons I love to work with children and young people is uh, we tend to be born, you know, we've all got that sin nature we're born with. And when we're very young, at the very beginning, we don't really know how to mask it as well. It's very unsophisticated. And so that's why you'll frequently see a little children, a little child, two little children together and one toy and they're both pulling at it, mine, mine, no, mine. And we don't do that as adults, right? Well, we're a lot more sophisticated about how we go about that, aren't we? And we need to ask ourselves this. Do we really love others like God tells us to? Do we really put others' interests before our own, others' needs before our own? Are we willing to give up things that would make us comfortable, things that we desire, to see others be able to uh, have what they need, to see others be growing closer to the Lord, to encourage them in their walk with Christ. God says that we need to love him and love others. So we step back and we recalibrate our thinking, which leads us then to stepping aside, to putting ourselves on the back burner and putting God first in the place that he deserves and putting others first. And then... This love for God and others naturally leads to the last step. We step up and we do things that help us fulfill our mission, things that further our mission. When you love God, you'll care about what he cares about. When you truly love others, you'll be moved by seeing people who need the salvation that they can only find in Christ. You'll want to see them come to Christ and grow in him. In fact, you'll want to do this so much 
that you'll find yourself doing things you wouldn't otherwise do. You'll be talking to your neighbors about something other than sports. You'll be getting to know the parents of your children's friends. You'll be going on cross-country mission trips to help a young church plant with an outreach project. You'll be spending Sunday evenings talking with fellow CBCers about ways to incorporate the message you heard last week into your life in the coming week. That's community groups. The, the Bible records the words of a veteran church leader to his young protege in 1 Timothy 1. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy 1, 7 and 8. For God did not give us the spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, of love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, I thank the Lord that he doesn't much call on us in our time and place that we live to really suffer for the good news like this man's describing. He talks about having beatings waiting for him in every town he goes into to preach. Perhaps one day God might have that for us. In fact, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ and other parts of the world today do not enjoy the freedom from persecution that you and I enjoy. Yet we still shrink back in fear and self-interest. How can that be if we are truly recalibrating our thinking and truly loving God and others? How can that be? So often we fail to step up and do things that further our mission. We fail to do intentional things. We should think strategically about how we live with accomplishing the mission as our objective. Thinking about things. Think about the things that we have to decide, where we're going to live, why we're going to move, what we choose as our occupation. On what basis do we choose these things? Do we choose them because we strategically think about how they can further our mission? Or do we just kind of go with the flow, here's what I like, and not that that shouldn't factor into it at all. God made you. Your composition as a person is, is who God wants you to be. All that factors in. But what's the ultimate uh, determining factor? Is it just, I like this? It's warm here? All the different factors we factor into, you know, mundane factors? Or is it, I'm thinking strategically about what God has for us to do, what my job is as a believer? And I'm going to make these decisions based on what I think strategically will help me accomplish that mission. Think about the kind of things that Jesus said when he was uh, in his earthly ministry. In John chapter 4, he says this. They talk about uh, he's been been talking for a long time. The crowds are pressing him. It was right after his discussion with the Samaritan woman. And they say, you need to stop and get something to eat, the disciples say to him. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He was totally preoccupied with this mission he was on. In John chapter 6, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And he's saying things like this all the time. As you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus saying stuff like this. Uh, The disciples are telling him, shouldn't we do this? And he says, I'm here to do the will of my Father. I, I don't talk of my own things. I say the things that the one who sent me told me to say. And he is all about the mission. And I, I share this with the teenagers all the time. And this, this principle will try to bring it from different uh, vantage points to help them get this. 
think about that. Jesus was constantly motivated by this mission. And our tendency, I think, is to go, well, of course, he's God, right? Of course he's going he's gonna to do that. I mean, can't expect me to do that. I'm not God. But think about what we're saying when we say that. The God who spoke the universe into existence is directed constantly by this mission. Who are we to think we can go, eh, I'll put that aside for now, I'll do my own thing. Who are we to think that way? We need to be thinking strategically about our mission and step up and do things that further our mission. And it usually involves things that we avoid, the harder things. Counterculture things, things that the people around us aren't doing. The little things that nobody will notice if I leave that undone. We need to be willing to do that because, you know, one of the metaphors that is used in your New Testament about the church multiple times is the body, a body of which Christ is the head and we are the parts. And the Bible describes us, the church, as a body where every part has a a role to play. And God made you who you are because he's got a role for you to play in the mission. And the question I want you to ask yourself this morning is, are you in? Are you involved? Are you playing your part? Are you carrying out the part of the mission that God created you for? A lot of times we're distracted by the things we think will make us happy. And the irony is nothing in the world will satisfy you as much as when you do this. When you recognize how God made you, think strategically about the mission he's given you, and daily do things, step up and do things that further your mission. I remind you of the mission statement that's on our church website. The mission of Community Baptist Church is to help people learn about God, love Him and others, and live for His purpose. Will we be content to let our mission remain there written on the website, but not really affecting the way we live from day to day? Or will we take it up and let it shape our thinking and set our direction? Will we recalibrate our thinking? Will we set aside, step aside, and make love our priority? Will we be willing to step up and do things that further our mission? My prayer for our church is that we will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we had to look at your word. We thank you for all that you have given us and entrusted to us for the mission. Lord, I thank you uh, for all the faithful servants you have brought to community and that the uh, evident work in their lives is their faithful service here uh, for, for your good news to make your name known, Lord. Thank you for what you have given us and the opportunity you've set before us to accomplish this mission. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be effective at accomplishing this mission that we've set out to accomplish. Help us, Lord, to be constantly learning more about you, to be living lives characterized by love for you and others, and to be living according to your purpose. And it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.